Welcome to Unlock Your Mindset podcast with me, Steve Rawlinson. Get ready to open the door to the world of business, entrepreneurship, and the art of achieving remarkable success. We'll focus on emotional, intellectual, social, and adversity, and how each of these traits are crucial to unlocking your growth mindset. The journey to success starts here, so let's go. On this episode, I'm talking to the one and only Charlie Alt. Charlie's background is in strategy and corporate finance for building high growth service businesses. He was founder and chief exec of Marcom Group, building the business to 50 million in sales from four staff to 400 staff. He's the MD of Holtz Yard. He's chair of the UK leading digital recruitment company, Future Heads, and he's also the chair of Opencast. He's been responsible for initiating over hundred million of projects. And he was also the runner up in 2019 the mayor of Newcastle. Charlie, welcome to my show. I probably didn't do you justice there in terms of (laughs) introducing you. Summarise who Charlie Holt is and tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Uh, When when I get sort of introspective uh, or whatever, thinking about these things, I am a bit hyperactive. So um, That's a good thing. I've got involved in all sorts of stuff. I think it's about endorphins. I like doing new things and getting stuck into new different projects and horizon scanning being out there and looking for the for the new new thing where, where did it all start then talk to us about where charlie holt was made and and where you came from and so i'm the fourth generation of a family business okay my dad ran holt's removals he left school at 16 so let's rewind from the family story my great-grandfather was the delivery manager for Bainbridges, which is the store in Newcastle that became John Lewis. Yeah. And he used to do all the deliveries for that store. You know, John Lewis still, you can buy big things that get delivered to your house rather than picking up at the shops. Yeah. And that, he didn't get promoted to be the director of deliveries. So his wife said he should set up his own business because they had four sons. And so they set up Holtz Removals in 1917 in a railway arch on Stepney Bank in the Usburn. Wow. And three of the sons went into the business and they grew it to be the fifth largest furniture removal logistics business in the UK. They had a good Second World War in terms of their profession was reserved, so they were not allowed to join up to the army because they were doing useful logistics around the UK. And... As a result, they had the post-war advantage that during the war, instead of shooting people, which was very useful at the time, mm-hmm. they were working on adversity in the business context. And after the Second World War, they were ready for the post-war boom and grew that business to be you know, across the UK, Glasgow, Nottingham, Newcastle, London, Leeds, and then the, doing removals actually for the army into Germany. So my dad took over the family business and he bought all his cousins out and when I was a kid I remember he had used all the money he could get hold of to the extent that he had sold his house and we were living with my granny right and I remember him talking to me when we were both in the bath so I he was not small (laughs) I must have been quite small about five or six I was his only son and he was talking me through the deal that he was doing. I love that. Uh, <laughs> and how old do you think you were? About five or six. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, and so I always thought 
I wanted to go into business. He was very, very keen on America. He used to subscribe to Fortune magazine, which was always around the house. Mm -hmm. so, I, so I always thought that was what you'd have to do if you were a, a dad. Yeah. And um, in subsequently buying the family business and then, you know, 70s, winter of discontent, people going on strike, including the Transport and General Workers Union, he was a lead from the front entrepreneur. He was doing the removals with his management team who were not on strike yeah. when the rest of the team were on strike and they were in the 1970s, there were power cuts and, and all of that. Um, and I suppose, you know, those foundational times of my life were when he was very much under stress. And, and for you to see that as well and to that, remember yes, that, yes, that's yes, a big inspiration. Yes. And both, he was one of four, he had two sisters. One of his sisters died before she was 40 of, of breast cancer. And he dealt with that as well. Wow. So, and his father, who had been the second generation, he died after the Second World War before he was 50. So my dad was in a hurry because <laughs> he thought he was going to die at 50. Wow. And his sister died at 40. So foundational stuff for me was you've got to get your own business. Yeah. It's exciting but it's stressful and you need to work really hard to find the wages for the next you know, month's paychecks. Yeah. So you go to school. You knew from school that you were going to go straight into the family business, I'm guessing. No, he would not have me. Oh, he was wow. not keen on anyone going into the family business. He wanted people to learn, make mistakes on other people's money was his idea. I love this. <laughs> Big shout out to Joel. <laughs> That's my son who's working oh, okay. for me right yeah, now. Yeah, He's yeah. literally just joined with me. And it's funny that, because I always think, am I inspiring him? My dad's not an entrepreneur, and my granddad, Samuel, wasn't an entrepreneur neither, but they had really good, strong work ethic. So I yes. used to sit there and watch my granddad yes. pedal to work, and, and that kind of installed in me. But then Joel, it's funny that you say sitting with your dad in the bath, Joel was sitting in the car with me when I was trying to launch Samuel Knight in the USA. Right. And he was yes. 11 years old. Yes. And he's watching me do this and he's paying attention and he's asking questions. Yes. And, you know, now he's a part of the business and he started from the bottom and worked his way up. But, yeah, I think that's so inspiring. So you went off. So he wouldn't employ you. You had yeah. to go off and work for someone else. I went to uni. I went to did English literature at yeah. Manchester. My mum... She also worked. She did the PR for Phoenix. Right. And so I was kind of entrepreneurial, but I like writing stuff. Yeah. So I went and studied English, and then I went into marketing communications in London. And so I worked for a PR agency, and the PR agency was Microsoft's PR agency in London. Yeah. And this was before Windows. It was green screen computing. And I was employee number 50, and that business has gone with Microsoft worldwide, employing like several thousand people now, wow. doing the marketing in each country. And I had a ringside seat to the launch of Windows, the launch of PowerPoint, the launch of Excel. My client actually doing the PR was a company called Harvard Graphics. I have always seemingly worked on the Pepsi rather than the yeah. Coke in the world. Okay. The, the plucky upstart trying to get there and trying to beat the big competition. Yeah. Harvard Graphics was killed by PowerPoint. It was the original presentation software. Right. Is this I, where your love for technology comes from, do you think? Yes. It was a, well, there ain't going to be any less tech in the world. And so I've been doing tech for 30 years now. And watching when you launch tech the wave 
which is the way for this year. So, you know, 2023, it was all about AI. But before I was, the wave I caught was working on MIDI computers before mm -hmm. they were PCs. And then you saw PCs go through and get all pervasive and laptops and then the internet and different waves. And every year there's a new wave. And it's exciting to, to, to be even to, e that. to even see that 30 years ago, though, and see the evolution of tech coming through. Yes. So you're not when you introduce yourself there as a fourth generation of, of a business, you're not a typical like a typical person who's gone straight out of school into the family business. You've actually gone out and developed your own businesses, scaled and grown them and then taken on the family business after that, have you? But because of my dad's mindset, which was his dad's yeah. mindset, growth mindset, you can't stand still. No. And a family business can't stand still either. Yeah. So you've got to look out there at what's coming next. Yeah. And the, one of the beauties of a family business is if you've got a business, you can hire people who will do what you think should be right in business, yeah. which is one of the flaws of entrepreneurs. They hire people who are like them or hire people who agree with them. Yeah. Your children never do. Yeah. <laughs> no. And it's one of the positive tricks of genetics that my dad was like that. He was going down one path, but he couldn't stop me not wanting to you do You want that, to do you your know? own thing. So when I took over at Holtz Yard, he went on holiday. I soundproofed one of the warehouses for music nights. <laughs> That's very cross when he got back. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. But, and then, uh, so then you took on, so your first business was Marcon Group. So the first business I had was a, so I worked for Text 100. Yeah. And then I, one of my clients said, oh, we're going to get a million quid's worth of venture capital. And I'm thinking, I'm the only guy running this account mm -hmm. and I'm getting paid 16 grand. Yeah. There's a million quid over there. If I go and set up on my own, yeah. I can earn a bit more than 16 grand and I can run the whole account. Yeah. So I set up a business, Wilson Harvey. Wilson's yep. my middle name. Harvey was my partner, Paul Burgess's middle name. Okay. And we set up in a little office. How old were you at this point? 23, 23. Amazing. Yeah, in Islington, so North London. And it was a cheap, you know, easy in, easy out council office. It was in a very tough brutalist, concrete housing estate in North London. Cheap cost, though. Very, very cheap, yes. I mean, I, I think from my background and all of that, where's the money going to come from? I'm a massive penny pincher. So, uh, do you yeah. know what? That's amazing that you like that, though, because I'm, I'm exactly the same, and there's, yeah. there's other entrepreneurs who are like that. I think it's that it comes from your parents, doesn't it, where, you know, just because they are, you know, if your dad was a, a successful businessman, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's just going to gift you things or, like, go out there and spoil you. You've got to kind of sit back and be like, Luke, if you want money, you've got to go and earn it yourself. Yeah, well, he'd, my dad died in 2019, and I went out because my mum was like, my car's a bit knackered, and I went and organised to buy a car, and she said, I've never had a new car. <laughs> she always had second handies, or she had, like, ones that had been fully depreciated on the company. <laughs> so, so, so you set up that company, and then at what point did you decide to come back to the North East then? So I set up Wilson Harvey. Yep. We grew. I was always interested in media from English literature. I did a postgrad in journalism. I was really interested in tech. I was really interested in the world of being an analyst mm -hmm. and thinking about and studying data around the tech boom yep. and what was then called convergence. 
there was a triple play of computers were on their own, TV was in the air, and then there was satellite communications, yeah. and then mobile, and they were all converging, which they ha- have done, yeah. into, into one. And I wanted to set up a newsletter to explore that wave. Yeah. The economics of setting up that sort of thing were more complicated than a service business. So we, we set up Wilson Harvey. We had some clients. We got paid from day one. Products, businesses, or, you know, you had to do a load of investment, conceive of a newsletter, get it to print, find some customers. So there was a lot of upfront costs. Yeah, I can imagine. And I was nervous about doing a business where there was a load of upfront costs. But after Wilson Harvey, I bought a newsletter business and they had a newsletter called Financial IT, okay. Call Center Technology, Insurance Technology Report. We rebranded that business, Incisive Research. And we did a load of, you know, long, complex data reports mm-hmm. around, around the market, sponsored by vendors and things like that. Okay. And I built that business and then I sold that after a couple of years and kept on with the marketing. Wilson Harvey, I then merged in 99 with a business called Lowy. The Marcom Group was, yep. called, was called Lowy Group, yep. with the idea that we would do a roll-up of buying with, with uh, investors' money other marketing agencies, right? which we did over a number of different deals to make Lowy Group about 400 people and a 50 million turnover. Where did you get this knowledge from to be able to do these things? Fortune magazine. <laughs> yeah, you're just learning uh, as, as you go and, and you just I learn. I always read the Financial Times on the weekends and I I was always interested in business. Mm-hmm. I read annual reports and I read Warren Buffett's annual reports. Yep. I think the sort of OCD aspect of mine is if I'm interested in something you're all in. I, I go yeah down the rabbit hole. Yeah. But if you think about the motivations, you know, and you get older you think sort of maybe maybe I have a different view of it all. But there was a Warren Buffett, you know, legendary billionaire, mm-hmm. richest man in America at stages, investor, had a partner called Charlie Munger, who died about three months ago. And he said, I didn't want to be rich to be rich. I wanted to be rich to to have security. Yeah. Uh, it's not not that I want a flash car. I'm happy with my Skoda. Yeah. But I just don't want to have that feeling that I had when I was in the 70s and there was the lights were off across the whole grid and yeah and my parents were kind of suffering do you know it is one of them things where like I guess I can look on my own journey where you sit and you think mine's probably similar to yours I was billing quite a lot of money for Michael Page and I remember sitting and looking at my wage and thinking hang on I'm making this much money for you and you're paying me that much I'm going to go off and do my own thing and then I go off and do my own thing so it was the initial kind of kick in my ass to go and set up on my own was money motivated Mm -hmm. but now money isn't one of my motivators Mm. it's still that fear of because obviously my business you know I'm, I'm only 40 and I've still got that fear of shit like if I lose everything tomorrow I need to keep a roof over my daughter's head and over my son's head because it's just Mm. me and that's what drives me and I guess you could call it security even though I know I've got a successful business I always think to the back of my mind if that went I would still have to keep a roof over my daughter's Mm. head and over Mm. my son's head so I totally see where you mean in terms of that get rich to give security to yourself and to your family members I also think I mean back in the day and maybe still people are nervous in Britain talking about money. 
But I think it's really important to talk about money. And and I, I actually love money. You know, well, who doesn't? I'm out there on that. You, but mo- lots of people in these sorts of podcasts talk about other stuff. But yeah. It's really important to be able to talk about being good with money. Yeah, I told you. How you can make money and how you can then use money. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Mm. I think people who are afraid of talking about money, I'm sure if you put a survey out in the whole of England and you said, you know, who wants to be rich and who wants to be poor, no one's going to say they want to be poor. Mm. Everyone's going to say, shit, if you show me a way of making more money, I'm going to make more money. I, yes. want, I want to make more money. It's expensive mm-hmm. to live nowadays in England. Yeah, hugely. You know? yeah. The more you make, the more they take off you. Mm-hmm. The house prices, the Inflation Act and everything. I mean, mm-hmm. Christ, the, the, just shopping. We, you know, I'm sure there's people out there that are struggling to even you know, put food on the table nowadays. Mm. So that kind of scaremongering of not being able to talk about money, fuck that. Just, you know, mm-hmm. At the end of the day, mm-hmm. if you want to be successful, there has to be a driver there. In terms of your motivations, what would you say, and, and this is definitely going to help the listeners, what would you say your main motivators are and have they changed over time? Well, key motivators, fear and greed. Okay. <laughs> and I think one of the things that I am good at with that grounding is I have an innate sense inside my gut feel of when three months away, yep. there's a bit of a crash yep. or a cliff or a, something going to happen. And so that you panic way early. And try and do all of those things you talked about, entrepreneurs, you know, bashing through walls to keep going and stuff. But it's but you've got to you've got to have that. The adrenaline's got to come in time for you to actually do something about it. You definitely strike me as someone, though, that would see a storm coming way before it actually came. Like there's some entrepreneurs out there that just kind of, you know, and I know I've spoken to them where they know something's coming. They know a shitstorm's coming, but they think oh, well, it's okay because I'll just, I'll try and do this or I'll try and do that, like two weeks before an event actually happens. But you strike me as someone that you can foresee whatever's going to come in, as you say, three, four, five months' time and actually go, I need to steer the ship away from that now. Yes, I I am down all sorts of rabbit holes. Yeah. (laughs) Because I... Do you analyse market sectors and everything to understand that as well? Yeah. I mean, I'm massive on demographics and population statistics and... Tell me a country, I'll tell you the population, you know, demographics is destiny. Mm-hmm. I'm really interested in, you know, you talk about birth rates yep. in the Western world because the UK, like a lot of advanced economies, people are not having replacement rate number of children. Yeah, You've got to have 2.2 children. You've got more than two children if you're a couple to replace yourself and give something back in terms of population. That's really interesting. In places like Italy, where they're not even having, you know, one or Japan, those previously powerful places there's not going to be anyone left it's the problem with china you know india is going to overtake china because china they're they're not having enough children but the reason for that is probably because it's expensive to have kids yeah yes and people used to have seven because they would keep you through retirement you now have one because they'll live medically Mm -hmm. they can afford you want to put everything on them so that they go to school they go to college and they can then be, be successful. And, sure, there's a business but, business idea sitting there somewhere. Well, there, it's about the horizon. You know, if you've got good immigration here, if you've got good numbers of people in the young, in the northeast, and people having more children in the northeast, ultimately we will 
win over the over the southeast yeah. of England. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah. It's interesting. So, in terms of your motivators, then for the listeners, first one definitely the fear aspect of money. I don't think greed. I've done my own research on you. You're one of the most generous people out there. I know you've got an event tonight for your up and coming boxer, mm-hmm. which you're trying to raise money for. Yeah, which I think is amazing. It's giving back, and I, and I do know that you set up like charities, and you're a big advocate in terms of giving back. So I don't think the greed elements there. But in terms of, I guess that one driver in you that gets you up every morning and pushes you, has that changed from the younger Charlie Holt to today's Charlie Holt? Or is it still the same driver there? If I just want to go out there and build something, what's your big audacious goal? I, I love, I mean, with Tom Lawson and I, who have been building the Opencast software yep. business, we chat about three-dimensional chess. Right. How complicated it is. Yeah. We've been expanding the analogy to, you know, you see it in New York, mm-hmm. in the park. There's a place in the park where there's like chess yep. boards on I'm the table. I'm a big chess fan. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it's like being the guy standing up and there's six chess boards yep. with, with people and you're playing chess against them all. Your team are doing that. And that's that's kind of the analogy that Tom and I have been chatting about for for Opencast, and and I just love that. I don't like doing one thing, and that's possibly been a flaw in some of my business journeys. That um, like Magpie, that's been shiny. I've flown over there yeah. and and gone to that thing, or I've I've always wanted to keep changing it. Yeah, you, let me ask you this. This is probably going to help me as well as the listeners. So, for me, and and I guess some of the some of the listeners out there, I've always been told. Just focus on one thing and be really, really good at that one thing. And then when you're really, really good at that one thing, then build a team and build a a management team around you and delegate the responsibilities and then go and do another thing. That doesn't seem like you are the definition of an entrepreneur where you've got loads of these plates spinning. How do you deal with all of that? I mean... Well, there's a phasing thing. You know, there's that phrase, storming, forming, norming. Yeah. And if you're early in a business then you've got to keep iterating and changing it till you find that formula. Yeah. And once you've found that formula, then get it, repeat, repeat, repeat. Yeah. But it was said about Dyson that he went to 25 different venture capitalists before anyone would back him. Mm -hmm. But he didn't try and flog the same slides. Okay. Every time the slides changed. Because he learned something and yep. he put that into the deck. And well, that's so, a learning preference, isn't it? I guess. You yeah, go and yes, have the actual experience, yes, reflect yes. on that, change on that. Don't just touch the iron and keep burning your hands. Look at what, why it went wrong and then yeah, go Definition and of madness, do the same thing, get the same result. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that's my mode of operation. And in terms of your, your biggest achievement out of all of the things that you've been involved in, all of the businesses that you've been involved in, what's your biggest achievement to date? My my other MO, mode of operation, is dream team. Well, I call it dream team. Okay. Is you cannot spin all these plates if it's just you because your head would explode. Yeah. So I involve other people and try and find a dream team of experts or partners, fellow travellers yeah. who, will, who will get involved and pull things together. And many of those guys, we've had a journey, we've done stuff, and then they've gone on and done other things. Yeah. And, and that's, that, that is probably my biggest sense of achievement, is looking at 
the partners I've had, the journeys that we've done, the businesses that we've we've built, mm-hmm. and how that's you know moved everyone along. Yeah, and that's that's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I know you're a student of, of psychology. I love Maslow's. You need to you need to have food and shelter. You yep. need to have money. Blah 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 blah. But at the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is self actualization, finding yourself, yep. and manifesting yourself in the world. Yeah, and helping people on that journey is a very big buzz. You know, yes, getting the security and the cash, we've talked about that. Yeah. But seeing other people learn to fly yeah. is a real buzz. I, I absolutely love that. Big fan of that. Opencast is probably one of the most successful businesses that you've been involved in. Would yeah. you say that's fair? Yeah. Where did that come from? Because you guys are absolutely flying. Like every time I read about it, it's like you, you, to the point where you're, you're going to float, yeah? Uh, well, so it's a business that when I moved to the northeast from, you know, we haven't had the uh, horrible bits, you know. Yeah, uh, well, we're going to come to them. But, we're going to come to them. Lowy Group, yeah, I got fired from. Um, we can come back to that. But uh, did you do a raise? Did you do an investment raise? Uh, so on we that? no, we had twenty five million in equity and debt yeah. from from PE houses. Okay, and then the credit crunch happened, and everyone stopped. It was a marketing group. Everyone said, "Oh." This year, we won't update our website. We won't do any mail shots. We yep. won't do any events. We won't do any It's branding. the thing that's cut in. So massive prices. crash in the market. And the venture capital guy said, oh, Charlie, you're the guy who's built this business and you know attracted a dozen other firms to come into the group, but you're not the right guy to get us out of the trouble yeah. out of the market and it was in the macroeconomic environment more you know which impacted how did you and feel so you, you built the company you've done all of your investment raise you've learned to do this yes and then you're sitting there in a board meeting and they're saying you're no longer a part of this journey like, uh, they how, didn't how, say it wasn't a board meeting I just got an email and a, I got a black bin liner with my the contents of my office oh my god and I never went back how long did it take you to recover off that so I wandered around very cross for about a year. Yeah, I, I got I got six months salary or something like that. But my shares in a forty million pound business, which I had fifteen percent of, yeah, by then, which might have tossed up six million quid. Ultimately, two years later, I couldn't pay for a new Houghton's kitchen. <laughs> so it was like fifteen twenty grand I got for those, and it was very annoying to not be there to feel like you could punch through stuff and make things happen. Did the business get out of trouble? Uh, it went into a more sort of uh, zombie state. It merged with another business. Yeah. Private equity guys never want to admit a company goes bust. They yeah. could let a company go bust, but it was better that it sort of moved into a kind of state of animated suspension yeah. by merging with another company they could cover their tracks yeah, the yeah. private equity guys don't want on their record no, no, all of, of that legal so. stuff understandably and they're always out there marketing to get more money for their next fund so this is where it comes down to that adversity because that is adversity like sitting there and getting fired from a company that you've built obviously i know that you were angry for a year but what got you through in terms of that adversity you're obviously a, an entrepreneur and you've gone, right, that's it. I'm doing something else. From that moment, that level of adversity, how did you get through that? And what were your drivers there? So it, it's an opportunity when you're 14, you're fired. And I had a few quid through a couple of the raises. 
and and four children yep. <laughs> under under five. <laughs> but it, it's a blank sheet of paper, and I I spent the year grinding my teeth, and I went out and met people in my network mm-hmm. and said, "What's the next big thing?" Uh, I set up a blog called Opencast Project, and I wrote about other people doing stuff. So I was delving into some other, you know, journeys, some yep. other some other big things. I was learning about blogging and th- that aspect of social media and the internet, which was really fascinating. Yep. So I wasn't standing still. And what I said when I met people was, it was really good, I know you, and this is what I'm thinking of doing and whatever, and what would you do? And you got a job for me. And, and I'm, I'm a never, I never wanted to be employed by anyone, but I wanted to... I, was com- I am convinced that the route to self-actualization is set up your own business. Totally agree. And, you know, you want to set up a business where you are paying yourself the salary that you deserve, but mm-hmm. you're also building the equity in the value in a business that you can then sell. You know, yep. why would you rent a house when you can own a house, pay off the mortgage and then Sally's. you've got it at the end? Totally agree. And so I met people and then I said to them, could you give me two names of people who I should speak to? So I, I went and met other people yep. who I had never met before. And that was really fascinating. This is all, all in London. I was in a um, private members club called the Frontline Club, which was for war correspondents near Paddington, as I was commuting in from Windsor every day. And I sat there and I just met a load of people. You know, there are a lot more yeah. of these uh, touchdown working clubs in London, which has then become... The whole WeWork concept, yep. you know, so I was looking at that, which was a new, new thing. And I convinced myself, you know, I wrote a long list. What could I do? One of the things, you know, would it be nice to do a lifestyle business and go and set up a boutique hotel in Zanzibar? Yeah. Literally, I had that on my list. And I thought, actually, I know nothing about Zanzibar. I've never been. I know nothing about running a hotel. You know, that was a sort of dream thing. And I ended up coming back to, well, what I should do in business is the things that I know. Yeah. And then I can make some money and go to Zanzibar and have a nice holiday. Yeah. I've still, still never been. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the projects I had was one of my great friends, B. Kayler, who was in recruitment, recruiting for tech and internet roles. Okay. And I said to her, I think you're, you know, a great business ambassador can we do a business plan? Mm-hmm. And she said, that'd be great. If I was going to do it, I'd do it with my two peer partners, Jill Arnold and Rachel Murray. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, let's let's have some meetings. And so, and they were like, oh, I think that's a good idea. Yeah, I think we would do that. And we then set up Future Heads. Yeah. And Amazing. I put some money in, they put their time in and... It's you know, and you were still part of that business now, yeah. Yes, we had twenty five percent each. Yeah, there were there were more complicated deals that you could have done. I was putting the money in. You could argue that was the most difficult thing, but I I I rationalised. They were putting a lot of time in. Mm -hmm. I had built a load of trust over the business planning, which took a a good length of time Mm -hmm. until everyone was comfortable to jump off the cliff, as it were, and learn to fly. And we could have done a deal where I put in 250 grand, I own 100% of it, and you earn it back kind yeah. of thing. But I thought that I, I was so convinced that it was going to 
get going and uh, you look at the way service businesses go they lose money for one month two months three yep. months and then they start with recruitment you'll know this yeah, yeah they start making money back making money back and you so yeah we i said let's just go 25 percent each that's big trust for you and i hope that gives you the confidence that i've got in you and and they have f- flown with that business. and the benefit of that is obviously you're in tech so if they interview any really good guys the first person they're calling yeah well, I was not. I didn't have a tech business then. Okay. So I, I had nothing, and I worked on that as one of the plates I was spinning, and we got that away. And how big is Future Heads now? So the business turns over nine or ten million has done. We've had okay. better years than twenty twenty three. Yeah. But the team is great, and we're cracking on building. That's what you want. Building back. Our, you know, uh, the COVID people thought it was going to kill everything. Yep. Actually, was a spike. And a positive, but the 2023, there's been a bit of a, a, a hangover. Yeah, it's been, from, it's from, been tough it's, been a, it's come off. Yeah, but yeah. we are fighting fit and lean and really active. The business is great. The people are, you know, core to the business, which is a B Corp, is how we treat our people, how we, we you know, we grow people. And that's been a fantastic springboard for loads of loads of careers, and it's been great. Yeah, that's fantastic. Mm. That's great, really great. So, on on OpenCast, then where are you at with yes. OpenCast? So, where did we start? Yeah, I moved back to the northeast. I took over from my dad, who was seventy-five. He had ultimately realised he wasn't Peter Pan and never grow old, and he needs some help. And I set up, you know, a couple of miles from the studio in our warehouse complex that that holds removals had grown into through the years and it's a property business you get somebody renting your office mm-hmm. and barring running out of toilet rolls in the in the loo or the heating going off or a leak the clients stay there for a, a goodly length of time yeah and so there wasn't a lot of need for me to be sort of on the horizon scan so the money was coming in you know and, and it's important for me to recognise lots of people who get fired with four children and a mortgage and all of those things have an extremely tough time. Yeah. And I had managed my safety net so that I was using my own money Mm -hmm. for that year when I was wandering around looking what to do next. But I'm incredibly lucky (laughs) to be able to then slot into a paying job Mm-hmm. In the family business. Yeah. And not everyone has that luck in life. Mm-hmm. And it is something that I don't take lightly. Um, you know, people can... It's still hard work, though. And you're still doing the uh, job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I can imagine yeah. it being just as tough working in a family business than it is working well, for, I say, I, in any business. Tom Lawson says, <clears throat> oh, bloody hell. You're the owner. You're on my case as you're the chairman. And I want to have, you know, some non-execs to uh, insulate some of your uh, hyperactivity and late night emails. And I say, yeah, but try also if it was your dad doing yeah. that. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, but I can imagine it so being a lot of fun, though. He, he was great fun, my dad. And he was, I think he was probably all children feel that of their parents. You know, he was great out there. Yeah. He, he thrashed me pretty hard. You know, he was tough love. Yeah, but he's created um, good foundations around you. Yeah, 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 yes, yes. Family businesses are also emotional. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Do you think entrepreneurs are made or born? I think you can make people entrepreneurial. Yeah, yeah. I think there are 
there is a tool set yep. of things that you need. Some are born to greatness. Mm-hmm. Some have greatness thrust upon them. Oh, I like that. If you end up in a place where, right, this is it. I've got to do it. Yeah. You know, we had tough times in growing futures. I've had tough times in many of the businesses. But you get people who are not expert becoming very expert at spreadsheets. Yeah. Because you're looking, where is every penny? And the only way of looking Weekly at it is on a, on, a, on a spreadsheet. Yeah. And uh, how long is it till we actually go bust? Yeah. How long is it before I have to tell everyone it's funny, there wonder, is no wages in that tin over I there? Wonder, I wonder if every business owner has that conversation. I remember in COVID having exactly the same conversation with my CFO and my FD. When do we run out of cash? Yes. That's the point that I need to yes. know. And yes. we're doing weekly cash flow forecasts, monthly cash flow forecasts, quarterly cash flow forecasts. And they were like, right. And how got, can you chop things yeah. to extend yeah. the things that you really we had, spend we, money we, we had this one thing this one saying where it's like just pay preferential liabilities any anything else yeah. as long as the preferential liabilities are getting paid push them out rob peter to pay paul don't worry about suppliers just make sure you pay the staff salaries yes and we had nigel on here a few weeks ago and I asked him what one of the biggest achievements he's ever had in his career was mm-hmm. and he said making payroll every month yeah. and i'm like i don't think anybody who who doesn't own a business knows that pressure when you've got a hundred or two hundred or three hundred staff working for you, and yes. it's your job to make sure that they get paid so they can pay their yes. mortgage and their yes. their rent and put food on the table mm-hmm. for their families. It's down to you. Yeah, yeah. Just you, no one else. Well, you feel that. Yeah. As the founder, that's how it feels. And yeah. uh, and uh, and I, uh, you know, that also can be a kind of dangerous founder syndrome yeah, to yeah. think you're the only one. And that's where I come back to demographics, and you look at that. It's alive in recruitment, but it's also in tech. Yeah. If you're not a good employer, then those people who you're busting yourself to pay, mm-hmm. they don't necessarily owe you any loyalty because they no. need to pay their mortgage and their bills and cost of living and all of that. And if you're not a good employer in a tight skills market, yep. people will vote with their feet. Oh, I totally agree. And and, totally agree. And, and and I suppose that's we keep avoiding talking about opencast software. But that is a key piece of our growth in that business. Higher. Is, is, higher and retain. Well, if you're going to grow to 500 people, you've got to keep yeah, yeah. 500 of them. <laughs> or if you're at 300 and you want to grow, or if you're at 500 and you want to go to 1,000, you've got to keep the 500 you've got and get another 1,000. Simple maths. But you've got to create the environment, the people environment, yep. where a limited and, you know, increasingly limited population of people who are applicable for the type of work that you're doing you can find them find them and hire them yeah and so that was the key thought in the building of opencast there's going to be entrepreneurs and people sitting there listening to this show and obviously as i said at the start a big thing about this show is giving back and talking around them them kind of characteristics and them drivers that maybe individuals are sitting there and they've got inside or they're trying to think about how do they go about setting up a business. And as I said, it's around that EQ, SQ, AQ and IQ. Obviously, you're an intelligent guy. Otherwise, you wouldn't be where you are today. So I'm not, I'm not going to ask you what your IQ level is. But <laughs> in terms of that, that ability to deal with adversity, build long-lasting relationships and show empathy and compassion to people that follow you and believe in your vision, how do you do that? My dad had all the books on what you would call leadership. Okay. 
And I think that, that that's possibly the upper middle class, third generation in a family business mm-hmm. thing. That's how do you teach leadership? And I was his only son. He's got two very successful daughters in, in other okay. fields, one of whom my younger sister is a chief executive of which the computers, the Consumers Association. Mm-hmm. And I think he thought that breeding us in leadership was his life's work. Mm-hmm. And his definition of leadership was very community-based. Okay. You know, Holtz removals, when we were growing up, had 70 or 80 vans going from the off headquarters in Newcastle around. You know, there's people talked in the 90s and the 2000s about Eddie Stobart vans yeah, yeah. going up and down. You know, so you get quite a big brand awareness. Mm-hmm. And with family businesses that are multi-generational, there's a responsibility he felt very key, you know, if you're wealthy from inherited wealth, you don't really have any customers. Yeah. But if you run a local business with a brand name, or any business, you've got customers, you've got to look after your customers. I agree. And so if your name's above the door, you've got to be even more good at the networking and the responsibility and all those things. And so, yeah. I, I think that's, I, you know, in terms of what you've achieved and, and where you've come from and, and everything that you've been through, I think, you know, your story is fascinating. And I know the listeners will, will really If you haven't, it. you know, for Newcastle, if you haven't got a thriving city, you haven't got any customers. <laughs> no. So, so you've got to do both. Yeah. If you, you know, and, 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 and that's what I've been involved with. Are you going to run, run for mayor again? So I, why, why I, didn't you win? I was like, I, I remember being on the outskirts of that, going, "Oh, Charlie Holt would be an amazing mayor." So I stood for the Conservatives, yeah, for mayor of Newcastle in the North of Tyne, yeah, because I'd always been interested in politics. If you yeah. want, if you feel that thing about your city and you want change and you want to help people, and I listened to a podcast with Melinda Gates, Bill mm-hmm. Gates's wife, saying. Well, it's called the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation Mm -hmm. because we have two daughters and I don't want it to be written in that it's only Bill who does this stuff Mm -hmm. because that's no role model for my daughters. Yeah. And if you have a very privileged perspective, she said you should do all that's in your power to use your advantages and... I have the cash cushion, yeah. the the job from the family business and my plate spinning with other stuff mm-hmm. to the extent that I could conceivably put that on hold yeah. and be a politician for four years. Yeah. And taking a role in public life to use the drive and bash through walls and all those things, put that to the use of local region, local government. Yeah. I thought would be fascinating life skill, and also an you could give back to the ultimately, local. Yeah. You know, and I work very closely with Sir John Hall, who's mm-hmm. very political, ninety yeah, something now. I was working with him because people were trying to get him to be a kind of Ronald Reagan, yeah. much more known, much more you know, Mister Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, he his wife wasn't very well, and he thought, I can't, I'm, I'm too yeah. old for it all. But he said. You can't do anything if you haven't got power, which is what Keir Starmer and the Labour Party are uh, struggling with at the moment. They've mm-hmm. had to compromise some of their 
positioning mm -hmm. to be electable because Neil Kinnock, who remembers him, who nearly yeah. became the Prime Minister, Tony Blair did become the Prime Minister yeah. and Democrat Labour stuff could get done. You yeah. know, the Millennium Bridge in Newcastle, the Baltic Art Gallery, they were, you know, products of the Scottish and Newcastle cabinet that Tony Blair had because they were in power. Yeah. And so if you want to change things, you know, who, who knows the politicians in Teesside if you voice. don't know, you know, to, to Ben Houchin, and he's a br brilliant local politician who's I mean, look done what amazing he's doing. stuff. Look at what he's doing down yeah. in Teesside region, yeah. and you're like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you don't see any of that in, in, in Newcastle. Yes, so that was a, a bit of a frustration on the, on that. So I, I stood for mayor. I'm not going to stand for mayor in the 2024 election coming up yeah. because trying to get somewhere with Opencast software. Yeah. And it's, it it's extremely busy. Yeah, we're, it's a teenager of a business rather <laughs> than a babe in nappies. Yeah. We've got a fantastic team. I think it's and, in a great business. And, uh, yeah. I remember coming down and uh, meeting Mike O'Brien. I think the year before I'd won the Emerging Talent Award yes. with the Entrepreneurs Forum. And then the year after, they rang me and said, oh, would you be a judge for this year's yes. Emerging Talent shortlist? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, the first time I came into the Open Caps business, and I think you had about maybe about 25, 30 staff. Mm -hmm. And Mike was one of the finalists, and he didn't win it. Uh, equestrian business won it that year but what's funny and what's ironic right is that so I'm a judge of that that emerging talent and by the way my vote was definitely open cast and then I think our businesses are quite similar age and then what about a year and a half ago the entrepreneurs forum phoned me and said oh you're a finalist for the entrepreneur of the year award mm -hmm. and I was like really I didn't even know I'd been voted. And uh, I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. Who am I up against? And uh, she said, Charlie Holt and Mike O'Brien from Opencast. I thought, there's no way. <laughs> I, there's no way I'm going to win that award. And anyway, we, we a few of the Samuel Knight staff there, and the staff were going, you know, we've grown really big in that. I was going, it's Opencast. They're, they're literally 500 staff. They're about to float. They're doing, what, 45, 50 million in sales? And your growth over mm -hmm. them years yes. it's just been unbelievable and uh, I, I wasn't excited but I seen that you guys won and I was I, I'm a big fan of Open no, Mike won uh, Mike, Mike won. won Mike won yeah yeah, yeah. and I came over well, and I shook his hand Mike, yeah. and, and it's just it's funny how you see the growth of a baby into a teenager and now you're mm. saying your business is like a teenager and then it won't be long until it's going into adolescence and becoming an adult and then you're like mm. right mm. you know now mm. what do we do with it where does it stop for you like what's your plan for the future in terms of like going, actually, I'm going to take that trip to Zanzibar and I'm going to go and sit and drink cocktails all day long. When do you stop? I don't really stop. I, don't, I wake up in the night and do stuff. I don't, I'm, I have got good sleep, but yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just love yeah. it. I, I'm, I enjoy it. Yeah. And I, I get a big buzz out of seeing something from nothing, blank sheet of paper into something. Yeah. I love that though. Yeah. And I hope, yeah. I, I hope I've got that energy as well in, you know, the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years because yeah. I can't ever see myself stop. I, I'm like you. I yeah. absolutely love it. Yeah. It's not a job. It's, no, it's, it's a hobby. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. You know, I just. I so what? It, you're yeah. never, you're never going to stop? I don't see why, you know. Um, What's the next big my thing? Dad, my dad died yeah. with, with his expenses next to his bed. He was filling his expenses form. <laughs> Was he still working when he... Uh, when he, he... he claimed on his expenses form that he was still driving the car. 
That's getting cleaner for petrol. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, they've driven the car for two years. <laughs> you, but look, your dad sounds like an inspiring guy, and he definitely sounds like someone who's created amazing foundations for yourself. I can't ever see you stopping, Charlie. I think you you are one of, if not the best entrepreneur in the northeast. We've got to do new things, you know, and that's what you know. It's you get endorphins from that, yeah. And unfortunately, you get sort of addicted to the endorphins. Of, one of thing that. the listeners might want to know, right, is how do you keep yourself? You, obviously, I know that you're focusing on work and you're focusing on new ideas and evolving your businesses. But what does that time away, what's Charlie's time look like? Like, how do you keep yourself sharp? Do you read? Do you go to the gym? Do you exercise? Like, what are them things that yeah, help you yeah. to be who So you are? I go to Clear Fitness, okay. which is a gym in Holtz Yard. So okay. we haven't really talked about that. that you know, we, Holtz Yard yeah. is a old factory complex. Amazing, amazing office got, space We've as got well. 10 acres of warehouses. We've got offices. We've got four gyms. Wow. And I go to the original gym which is clear fitness yeah which is run by uh, jordan thursby okay and so i go there i have a session with him i have a session with a guy called aiden gwilliam yeah and uh, so i do two strength and conditioning every day uh no tuesdays and thursdays okay wednesdays open cast football okay so we have an amazing wednesday night football with about 60 people and it's a fantastic for the foreign legion we've got a portuguese guy from moldova we've got this is all the team in Opencast. Yeah. Singaporean guy whose wife works at Opencast and he's a lecturer at Northumbria Uni. Right. We've got three Nigerians. We've got a Ghanaian. We've got a bunch of Mackhams, Geordies. Right. Smoggy from Teesside. Are, you, who any, comes are you in a league? No. We just play against each other. We occasionally do tournaments right. uh, where we are absolutely outgunned. We did one in Teesside. It's like a community, isn't it, um, Hulchard? I remember I've been down there a couple of times to visit people and it's like it's got a sense of community. So one last final question then. In terms of the biggest tips for someone who's sitting there, got that drive inside them to be an entrepreneur, go and start up the business, or do something on their own and self-actualize, what would your three biggest tips be for the listeners? I would do what you know. There's yeah. a business in Cambridge called IQ Capital. Okay. And they are they back, I think it's mostly tech, but, but businesses and they back money, and then they give them a network of people to, okay. to to build, you know, and that's kind of where I went with with Future Heads yep. recruitment, with Opencast Software, it is backing a business of people that I understood and knew mm-hmm. who maybe hadn't done it themselves. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, there's a Japanese concept in, in that called Moran, which okay. is copy, 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 and then innovate. So if you're starting a business, I... I don't really like the dragon's den. Here's a wacky idea that no one's ever heard of before. Yeah. Will it work? Reinventing go, the wheel. Go, go into something where there's already a market. There's yeah. already some competitors where you've been working for 15 years. Yeah. And copy that. And then by doing the process of copying and getting your business model right. Make it better. You can then add a few innovations and tweaks. Mm-hmm. Don't try and do the crazy new, totally different thing. Yeah. So that that's... Number one. Yeah. Number two would be work it out on the back of a beer mat, back of an envelope, get the numbers to stack up. Yeah. And then do that on a spreadsheet. There are countless, countless times where I have set up a spreadsheet and it's got January, February, March, April, May, the 12 months. And it's got the list of where we're going to get the 
revenue from customer A, customer B, customer C, and then the costs. Yep. Wages, office costs, telephones, heating in the office. You know, yeah, understand there. your numbers. Yeah. Cash yeah. is king. Yeah. And then you can see how it, because the biggest thing about fear is things you didn't predict. Yeah. Getting spooked in the night. I don't think you can predict anything with, with, with a startup, though, can you? Because you can sit and you can have. I re- always remember someone saying to me, strategy isn't the blueprint for success. You've got to be adaptable to storms that could potentially arise or or anything like that. It's important to have a strategy and it's yes. important to yes. know your numbers. But I think. But the numbers give you that roadmap. Yeah, they do. And the numbers you can then do optimistic, realistic, pessimistic. Yeah. And if you're then, you've got a handle month on month on the numbers, which again, I would be by tip number two would be get some, if you're entrepreneurial and you're creative, get, if you're Tigger, if you use the Winnie the Pooh analogy, you need to have Eeyore as well. Mm -hmm. You need someone who is, if you're all optimistic, you need someone who says, yeah, if it's not going to go well, yeah. have you thought about this? I think we've, we, it, it's funny. Every, maybe it's just a thing with entrepreneurs, but like everyone that I've spoken to and interviewed, they all say they, they're, they're exactly the same. It's know your numbers, optimistic, pessimistic, middle ground. Find yes. people that yes. are a, a mixture of them. Because yes. I'm probably a bit like you. When I first started something out, I was like, Optimistic. No, no, no. We're going to take over the world. We're going to take over the world. We're yeah. going to do ten million in the first year. We didn't do ten million in the first year, but then now my CFO and my FD and my team are probably more between the pessimistic and middle ground. Yes. And I'm probably like, mm, I still look and go, no, we can do more than that. We can do yes. more than that. The startup always <laughs> takes longer. That would be another always. tip. You do yeah. those things and you say this is going to happen, and then you log it every month. Are we there? Are we there? Are we there? No shit, we're not. We're behind, we're behind. And you've got to have enough money for that down where it's all spend, spend, spend until it starts to come up. I'm doing a a hockey stick curve here, the little bit going down and then hopefully many, many years of the handle of the hockey stick going up. Yeah, the death Um, curve. So to summarise that then, so do what you know, know your numbers and model them numbers. Yes, and keep track of the numbers. And keep track of the numbers. And then finally, get no. your... Don't be too, <laughs> get partners don't, don't, who are not all like Don't you. be too optimistic and yeah. be patient. Yes. Be patient with a startup. Yes. Where can listeners connect with you, Charlie? If they have a business idea or they want to get some advice from you, mm-hmm. are you open to them kind of things? And if so, where's the best place yeah. to connect? L- LinkedIn. Yep. I'm, I'm a massive fan of LinkedIn. I think it's a brilliant platform. Yeah. And... I'm very easy to find because there are only, I think, two Charlie Holtz with a H-O-U-L-T. There's another one. There's one other one who's ex-army and he thinks in Bagshot or somewhere like that down right. south. Uh, but it's a, the key is the U in my surname, H-O-U-L-T. Okay. And I, I'm very happy to... I don't do the... I get, and I'm probably everybody gets these... Hey, I'm your new friend. Let's jump on a call tomorrow. Yeah. Because my diary is booked three weeks out but as I wake up in the middle of the night I am very happy to banter and tumble ideas on on LinkedIn I just don't want to speak to someone because four o'clock in the morning they're probably not on the same time zone or or, or whenever I've got a moment lovely Charlie thank you very much for coming on the show I've really enjoyed talking to you 
and I wish you all the best with your businesses. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, um, I've enjoyed it as well. It's been really great. Thanks very much for listening to the podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe to Unlock Your Mindset with me, Steve Olson.